Thank you so much, Mike. The less said about Bolton Wanderers Football Club, the, the better at the moment, I think. Um, but it's a real pleasure to be, uh, to be back with you this morning. Uh, Mike reminded me, it's actually been six years now since uh, moved over from Lowestoft to Norwich. Uh, but it's a real pleasure to see some friendly faces and some new faces as well. Um, I was just looking out and I think Martin Orse might have shrunk in the meantime. Or either that or his son has grown significantly, so well done, Ben. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's, it's so great to be here. It does always feels like uh, coming home uh, to be back here. So yeah, so, so good to be here. Um, so yeah, here with Sarah and our little girl Ava as well. So that's, uh, that's really nice. I do feel free to, to coo over her later. Um, but yeah, just felt, just as we were uh, in the week, just as I was preparing, just God put on my heart just uh, something, uh, sort of a picture of the depot actually. And uh, in that picture, I saw that, that window there all broken and smashed up. Um, and my first thought was, oh dear, that needs to be fixed. You know, I'm, the guys here uh, build wisely and I'm sure they'll, they'll board that up and get that, that kind of fixed up as soon as possible. Um, but actually, I felt God um, perhaps show me through that, that um, he wanted to do something a bit unusual with that. That actually, he'd, that window, even though our first instinct would be to tidy up and make things all clean and all, all nice and patched up. That actually, he wanted to, to break in in a bit of an unusual way. Um, and as, as the kind of picture moved on a little bit, I saw kind of light streaming in uh, through that window that was broken. Um, and I feel that actually God just wants to just encourage you that he wants to perhaps break in in unexpected ways in your, your times together, in your, uh, in your small groups, in your, in your running partners, if you do such things. And just that, that as the light breaks in, there's such a, a beautiful, uh, fresh thing of, of God kind of pouring through his light, pouring through his radiance. Um, so yeah, I hope that encourages you, that God, God really wants to move and, and bless you guys. Um, but yeah, today it's, it's my privilege to be carrying on your series in the book Gentle and Lowly. Um, and for me, that's been one of the most uh, transformative books that I've ever read. I think that's fair to say. It is uh, an amazing book. And I'm sure you've all got a copy by now after having reached chapter 16 of the book. So I don't need to, to sell it to you any further, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, we're going to be looking today at some of the themes found in that chapter. And the chapter itself touches on perhaps the most important question that we can ever ask, which is who is God and what is he like? So may I ask you, how would you answer that question? Now, perhaps of you, as you've been going through this series, you've begun to think that actually maybe Jesus wasn't quite who I thought he was. Maybe to your surprise, you've seen that he didn't come in anger to punish, but actually came with a heart full of mercy and grace. However, well, you might have a question at the back of your mind. Well, what about the Old Testament? Isn't that a bit of a different story? Doesn't that reveal a God distant and frustrated? A God who is angry and removed from, from humankind, from his creation? Is that what was going on there? Well, today our passage is in the Old Testament. It's in the book of Exodus. Uh, so we're going to have a look at that together and see how God reveals himself to Moses. Um, so I think the words will be coming up on the screen. So we're in Exodus uh, chapter 34, and we're going to be looking at verse 5 through to verse 7. So it says this, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love 
and faithfulness. Keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. See, I'll just pray and we'll get into the passage. So, Jesus, we thank you for your word, which reveals who you are. And we just pray today that your word would speak to each one of our hearts, that it would, uh, it would do something special in, in showing us who you are, who you have revealed yourself to be. So we pray, Holy Spirit, would you come now and just, uh, just come and illuminate on our hearts the truth of who you are, of your mercy, of your grace, of your steadfast love. We just pray uh, that you would speak to each one of our hearts now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So the, the background to our passage that we've been looking at is that Moses, the leader of the Israelites, is at an all-time low in his leadership of the nation. So the Israelites had rebelled against God and, in fact, they'd created an idol to worship instead of him. And as a result of this, God says that he will not go with the nation of Israel to the promised land. However, in his mercy, he says he'll send an angel before them. Uh, to make the way instead of him. But Moses is distraught with this, and he pleads with God for his presence to go with them. He appeals to God that this uh, is what distinguishes them from all other people's group, that God's presence is with them. And the Lord in his mercy agrees. And then as God's representative for Israel, Moses boldly asks the Lord on behalf of the people, please show me your glory. Now, what do you think of when you hear the phrase, the glory of God? So when we're talking about God's glory, we're speaking of who he is. We're getting at the very center of what makes God, God. Now, in light of the Israelites' rebellion, in light of their failings, how do you think God would reveal his glory to them? There's something actually in each one of our hearts that expects the center of who God is to be disappointed with us, to be frustrated, to be just wanting to be, uh, to pour out some judgment in response to what we've done. But this is not how God defines his glory. This is not how he reveals himself. So God tells Moses that his glory will uh, pass by him. And then for his own protection, he hides Moses in the cleft of a rock so that he uh, isn't incinerated. Such was the glory of God that was going to come past him. So then the Lord comes by Moses and reveals his glory. He defines his glorious name to him as the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. So to our surprise, we find that the glory of God is found in his mercy and his grace. You know, there's something within us that he just expects the glory of God to be in his might, in his, in his retribution, in his, his power uh, to crush things. But God turns this on his head and he reveals that at the very center of what makes him who he is, is mercy and grace. So God here is definitively revealing himself. In fact, he's defining his very name. He says, the Lord, uh, and the Lord, if it roughly translates as I am. 
So if God needed a passport to get around, if he, uh, under some sort of bizarre way, had, had a passport in his name, his first name would read the Lord and his surname would read merciful and gracious. The Lord merciful and gracious. You know, as you've seen through your series, the only words that Jesus used to describe his heart were gentle and lowly. Here we have God defining who he is. The first two words he uses, merciful and gracious. So at the deepest core of who God is, we find mercy and grace. So today, will you allow God to reveal his glory to you? Will you let him reshape your assumptions about who he is and how he feels about you? Will you allow your heart to, to be met and to encounter his mercy and grace afresh? Okay, let's carry on with, uh, with that passage. So next up in God's revelation, he says that he's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Can you see the contrast between the two there? He is slow to anger. But his love is abounding. It is overflowing. It's pouring over. Now, maybe you have a view of God that is the flip side, the opposite of this. Perhaps you see God as as slow to love. But abounding in anger. But this is not who God reveals himself to be. In his own words, he says he is slow to anger and overflowing with love. 2 Peter chapter 3 puts it like this. It says, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God is patient with us. He's not not quick to anger. He's not quick to be provoked to anger like we are. But he's long suffering in his dealings with us. He's patient with us, not wanting anyone to perish. However, he is not slow to pour out his love. He is not reluctant to pour his love out to us. Psalm 103 tells us that his love for us is as high as the heavens are above the earth. You can't get higher than that. God's love is immeasurable. There are no limitations on it. There's no borders on its vastness. There's nothing that it can't reach or get to. Nothing too far away from its reach, from its touch. And the thing is that the way that God reveals himself, it's not just an abstract set of words. It's not an abstract formulation. God revealed his love personally to Moses and he wants to personally reveal his love to you. Ephesians 3 reveals uh, Paul's prayer to the uh, believers in Ephesus. And he prays this. He prays they would grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know his love that surpasses knowledge. God wants you to know his love. He wants you to know it. He wants you to drink in his affection for you. He longs for you to experience his waves of mercy and grace afresh. To know his love in all its height, depth and breadth. We know God so loved the world, so loved you, that he gave his son, that you could be his. But did you know that he's never 
had second thoughts about you. He's never had second thoughts about whether you were worth it. When he gave himself for you, he knew the very worst about you. He was under no illusions about who you were, about who I was. Yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He loved us in our mess then, and he loves us in the mess we sometimes make now. In fact, it draws him towards us in love and compassion. But maybe you're asking yourself, how could God still love me? Surely I've exhausted his love. Surely, surely it's run dry for me. It's not possible. The thing about God's love is it never runs dry. It cannot be exhausted. Remember, it's as high as the heavens are above the earth. He leaves the 99 to go after the one. His love chases you down. It seeks you out. It's ready to bubble over again. His grace is poised to meet with you again, to remove your sin as far as the east is from the west. Today, the father's arms are outstretched, ready to embrace you again. But we don't just have to imagine this for ourselves. The work of the Holy Spirit was that he was sent to make this love known to us. The Bible tells us that he's the spirit of adoption, the spirit by which we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy, Father. He loves to make the love of the Father known to us. That we might experience it in all its vastness. That we might know that we're his children. That we might experience who we are in him. So just allow yourself today to come afresh to him. Maybe it's been a season of feeling dry. Maybe it's been a season of of just feeling quite cold, but allow the Lord today to, to draw near to you as you draw near to him. Allow him to blow afresh on your heart. But if you're not still quite convinced of God's commitment to you, let's carry on with our passage. There's so much good stuff in it. So the full phrase that, that was used is that God is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So that phrase there is it's covenant language. It's family language. And the Hebrew word that underlies it is hesed. And hesed refers to God's unbreakable covenant bonds with his people. So his faithfulness means that he will never have enough of us. It's impossible for him to have second thoughts about you. In fact, he refuses even to entertain the thought of giving up on you. God will be faithful to who he has revealed himself to be. He is unchanging in his nature. Unlike us, he doesn't have off days. He doesn't have days when he changes his mind, when he regrets decisions that he's made. He is steadfast in his commitment to you. Did you know that those who belong to Jesus were chosen before the creation of the world, before the foundation of the world? That decision was made. So in Christ, your adoption papers have been signed off. They have been signed and sealed. And the cross guarantees your inheritance as a child of God for all eternity. You're his. You belong to Jesus. 
And next we read, he keeps his steadfast love for thousands. Now that phrase thousands could be translated, keeping steadfast love to a thousand generations. Uh, And Dane Ortland, the guy who wrote the book, uh, Gentle and Lowly, puts it like this. He says, it's God's own way of saying, there is no termination date on my commitment to you. You can't get rid of my grace to you. You can't outrun my mercy. You can't evade my goodness. My heart is set on you. He keeps his steadfast love to a thousand generations. But as we read on, the final sentence of our passage might seem a bit out of step with what's just come before. You know, God says that he visits the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. But, you know, the thing about God is that he is just. He's perfectly fair in all of his ways. And, you know, if we, if we look around us, if we look out to the broken world around us, sadly, we see in such tragic ways sins that are repeated through the generations. There's no getting away from the way that that can creep in and pass down in such a way that is so hard to see. But God can break that cycle. But have you noticed a contrast between the two, third and fourth generation and a thousand So we see sins are visited to the third or fourth, yet God's covenant love flows down to a thousand generations. So the flow of his love far eclipses our sins. His love engulfs us in waves of mercy and waves of grace. His mercy is far sufficient for our sin. In fact, Romans tells us that as sin increased, grace increased and abounded all the more. Grace outstrips and outruns our sin a thousand times over, not just once or twice, but his grace outstrips your sin a thousand times over. There's nobody too broken, no situation too messy, no person too far gone for his grace to meet, for his grace to transform and turn that situation on its head. It's just who he is. It's the nature of who he is. It's who he's revealed himself to be. Will we take him at his word? Will we allow him to define what he says about who he is and what he says over us, over our lives, over our past and our present and our future? Will we let him define us? So how do we respond to such a revelation of God? How do we respond to what God has shown himself to be like? Well, Dane Ortland puts it much better than I could. He says the Christian life from one angle is the long journey of letting our natural assumption about who God is over many decades fall away, being slowly replaced with God's own insistence on who he is. So, you know, the fall in the Garden of Eden, it gave us such a twisted understanding of who God is. Satan wants us to believe his ultimate lie that God isn't really who he says he is. That he isn't really good, that he isn't really merciful or gracious. 
And perhaps as you've been hearing this series, as you've heard such amazing truths about God, you've realized that you've seen God in a distorted way, in a way that doesn't really reflect who he is. You've believed things about him that are out of step with his character. Will you allow God to to reset, to press the reset button? Will you allow the Holy Spirit to apply the truth of the gospel to your heart afresh? Will you allow him to uproot lies in the gentle way that he does and replace them with the truth of who you are in him? But you know, the ultimate demonstration of who God is, of of what he's like, is found in the person of Jesus. In Jesus, this word, this word that we've seen became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus came to reveal in flesh and blood what God is really like. He was the perfect demonstration of the words that God spoke to Moses. The glory of God was perfectly made known in Jesus' mercy, the way that he showed grace, and in the way that he suffered. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He showed mercy to the sinner. He wept with the hurting. He gave grace to the failure. He showed steadfast love to the broken. He perfectly revealed who God is. He was the ultimate revelation of God's glory. He was the perfect demonstration of the glory of God. But the thing is, if we think back to Moses, we think back to God's glory and Moses. Moses was told that he could not see God's glory and live. He had to be hidden in the cleft of a rock or he would have been destroyed. Such was the glory of God, the immensity of it. So what does this mean for us? Does this mean we have to observe God from a far off distance? Do we have to keep back from a safe distance and observe from afar what he's like? Far from it. On the cross, Jesus dealt with the barrier of sin that separated us from God. He took, his, uh, took our sin upon himself, paying the price, suffering in our place. So that means now we are reconciled to God. So just as Moses was hidden in a physical rock, so you too now are hidden in the rock that is Christ. If you put your trust in Jesus, then your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Your security in him is immovable, unshakable, rock solid. Whatever storms might come your way, whatever life might throw at you, whatever might come your way, your life is hidden in your rock and saviour. You are in him. You're in the one who cares for you deeply. And now as one who is in Christ, you are seated with him in heavenly places. You are welcomed into the glorious presence of the Father. 
So now you don't observe from a far off distance what God is like, but you know from the father's embrace that you are loved. You know from his embrace. Whereas once you are separated and far off, now you're his beloved. You're dressed in the royal robes of his son. You're welcomed in. There's a crown upon your head. And he wants to fill your heart afresh with the love and affection that he has for you. So today, will you allow the father to gently uproot any lives you've believed about who he is? Will you invite the Holy Spirit to reveal afresh your identity, who you are in Jesus? And will you drink in the fullness of his love for you in its height, its depth and its breadth? Will you taste him afresh? If I could just invite the, the band to come up and should we take a moment to, to respond to him, to respond to, to who he has revealed himself to be? Well, if I could invite you to stand, if you're able to do, and let's, let's just take a moment to wait on him. Yeah, just feel this is a moment where God wants to just reshape some hearts, just to maybe reshape all our hearts around who he says he is. That where we've allowed our hearts to get twisted, where we've allowed a vision of who God is and how he feels about us, how he uh, treats us, his heart for us, to get a little bit twisted or upside down. He just wants to just gently reshape that, to remould our hearts again in him. So maybe you just want to want to put your hands out to him or just respond however you you feel comfortable. Yeah, Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are the perfect heart surgeon. You're the one who perfectly reveals the Father to us. And we pray now for just a fresh revelation of the Father's heart for us. Lord, thank you that you didn't leave us as orphans, but you gave your Holy Spirit that we might know, not just in our minds, not just intellectually, but we might know, truly know who we are, that we're your children. So pray, come afresh, Holy Spirit. Let us know how loved we are. Let us know again how you you feel about us, we pray, Lord Jesus. We just invite you to have your way amongst us. Lord, thank you. You're just lifting off burdens. You're lifting off wrong thinking. We just align ourselves with you. We say yes to you, Lord Jesus. We say yes to everything you have for us. Lord, we don't deserve it. We couldn't possibly even think about trying to earn it from you, Lord, but you give it as a free gift and we say yes. We receive it, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your kindness to us. Thank you. We bless you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Bless you, Lord.